last Palm Sunday, I preached out of Luke and the story of Christ as he entered the great city of Jerusalem and the ways the people surrounded him and praised him. But as we went through the rest of that week last year, I began to think about to myself uh, how we had missed spending time on the cross, the passion of Christ and what he's done for us. So this Sunday is Palm Sunday, but also in many churches they celebrate it as Passion Sunday, a time for us to enter into what God has done on the cross, what God has done for us. Today we will begin in Golgotha, I'm sorry, in Gethsemane, where we see Jesus praying, and we will end at Golgotha, the place of the skull where he was crucified. This morning we will see the full humanity of Christ as he prays to God, and we will see his full divinity as he hung there on a cross, crucified. Jesus led the disciples to Gethsemane. And then he said to them, Stay here while I go over there to pray. And he took Peter and two of the sons of Zebedee along with him. And he became deeply grieved and troubled. He said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And then continuing on a little further, he collapsed. He fell face down to the ground and he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. Then he returned to the disciples and he found them sleeping. Could you men not even stay awake with me, not even keep watch with me one hour? He asked Peter. Watch. Pray that you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the, but the flesh is weak. Then he went away a second time, and he prayed, Father, if it is not possible to, for this cup to be taken from me unless I drink it, let your will be done. Then he came back, found the disciples sleeping still, because their eyes were heavy. So he, went, he left them and went away, and he prayed, the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and he said, Are you still sleeping? Look, the hour is at hand when the Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of sinners. Here at Gethsemane, this garden that was just across the valley from the temple, from Jerusalem, we see Jesus in His humanity, the fullness of His humanity. As he prays to God, his Father, Lord, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. If there is some other way, let it be done. We see his humanity, that Jesus was fully human. A fully human, a God, or a man, excuse me, who had, who had fear, who experienced our fear who knew what was coming, was asking if there was some other way. Jesus needs to be fully human. I thank God that He didn't just give us some sort of philosophies from heaven, just platitudes and, and ways to live, but He actually became Emmanuel, God with us. He took on flesh and bone and went through the things that we go through he became fully human so that he could redeem humanity entirely. He had to become human so that he could redeem all of humanity. 
But while he was fully human, he was also completely faithful. Father, not what I want, but what you want. Jesus was faithful. He knew what was coming. He knew what he and God had devised to save his people. And yet he remained faithful. But why did Jesus have to drink this cup? What is this cup? This cup of judgment. God is holy. The Father in heaven is completely holy. That means no sin around him. Can't even endure it next to him, for it will be destroyed. So God had to make us holy because we know when we are honest with ourselves, we know our own sin. The ways that we've mistreated others, the ways that we've gone our own direction, the ways we've been arrogant, we know our own sin. And God is holy. In our sin, we can't even draw close to Him. He had to do something. At the same time, God is also just. God is just. And He will punish evil. And we want God to be just too. We could, I couldn't even imagine what it would be like if God were not just. If there was evil in this world, if things happened and He just turned a blind eye to it. We want God to be just. But because God is just, He couldn't just turn His eye to our sin. He just couldn't turn away and ignore it. He had to do something about it because of His justice. And so He sent Christ. God the Father sent God the Son to take our sin, to bear it Himself, to bear the alienation and the penalty that we deserved. Christ bore it on the cross. He died that we might live. And only Christ could have done this. Only the Son of God could have done this. No human could have bore what Christ bore. No human could have done what He did. When those who had arrested Him, they took Him to Caiaphas, the high priest. And there were the, were the teachers of the law and the elders. They were all assembled. But Peter followed them at a distance right up to the courthouse, or right up to the, to the court of the high priest. And then he entered in, sat next to the guards, and he watched to see the outcome. The high priest and the whole Sanhedrin, the whole council, were looking for false testimonies, for false evidence against Jesus, because they wanted to kill him. But they could not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward. And they said, This is the man who said, I will destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. The high priest rose and growled at Jesus, Do you have any answer? What is this testimony these men are bringing against you? And Jesus remained silent. The chief priest asked him, I charge you, by an oath, by the living God. Tell us, are you the Christ, the Son of God? You've said it, Jesus replied. You've said it. But I, I say to you, that from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, coming on the clouds of heaven. And at this, the high priest tore his clothes. He said, he spoke in blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, you've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? 
And they said he deserves to die. What was it that Christ said? What did he say that would cause them to tear their robes and want to kill him even more? He said, from now on you will see the, you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One. From this moment forward you will see God in His power. And it won't look like you expect. It will come in earthquakes. It will come in curtains being torn, in rocks being split in two, and tombs being broken open. It will come in power like you, like you did not expect. It will come in God crucified, beaten, and mocked and spit on. God who comes in love and sacrifice, not comes in military power and domination, but a God who loves. You will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One. But we also hear echoes of, of Scripture. We hear Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And we hear Daniel, chapter 7. I saw in my vision at night, look, and before me stood one like the Son of Man, coming on the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was brought into His presence and was given authority and glory and sovereign power that people, all nations, men and women of every language would worship Him. Dominion was an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. We hear that from now on Jesus will sit in, at the God's right hand, but also at the end He will come again to judge the living and the dead. That right now Christ, He stands before them and they sit over Him in judgment. Well, one day the tables will be turned. Christ will come again and He will stand in judgment. But they didn't realize it. They didn't realize who they were talking to. Then the governor's soldiers, they brought Jesus into the praetorium or into the fortress. They gathered the whole company around him. They stripped him. They took his clothes off and they put a scarlet robe on him. They twisted a crown out of thorns and then they jammed it down onto his head. They put a staff in his right hand and then they kneeled down in front of him and mocked him. Hail the King of the Jews! And then they spit on Him. They took the staff and they hit Him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked Him, they took the robe off. They put His clothes back on Him and they led Him away to be crucified. We hear this amazing and ironic profession of these guards as they mock Jesus. They proclaim the truth. This is the King of the Jews. This is the one that God had anointed to lead His people. The irony is they don't even realize what they're saying, how true it is. And they mocked Him. And we realize that as we've read through Scripture, as we read the Old Testament, the more they mock Him, the more He fulfills the prophecies. The more He fulfills what Scripture had spoken about Him. The more we are confirmed that Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, But we also see that in His mocking, Jesus went before us. For those of us who have been rejected, who have been mocked and made fun of, Christ has gone before us. 
We are not alone. Christ has redeemed our rejection. Every one of us who have gone through this, Christ has redeemed it. He has been there too. Fully human and fully God. When they came out, they met a man from Cyrene. His name was Simon. And they forced him to carry the cross. They came to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. They gave Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But once he had tasted it, he refused to drink it. Christ refused to drink it because he was here for a purpose. He was here by the Father's will, by design. He wasn't going to to take in the wine, to dull his senses, to try and skirt death, to try and make it easy or take the easy way out. He was here for a purpose. He was here about God's business. He was here intentionally. And he was doing more than just dying. As if that were not enough. He was doing more than dying. He was bearing the sin of humanity. Your sin and my sin. The sin of every person from the beginning. He was bearing sin. And at the same time, bearing our separation from God, our alienation from Him. This weight He bore there. And He did not want His senses to be dull. He was not trying to take the easy way out. When they had crucified him, they divided his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him. They kept watch over him. Above his head, they placed a sign, a written charge against him. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. And then they crucified two bandits next to him, on his right and on his left. When those people passed by, when those who had passed by, they they hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, saying, Save yourself. You are the one who said that you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. If If you are the Christ, if you are the Son of God, come down off that cross. In this moment, we see one of God's most amazing miracles. The miracle that God did not do. That God remained on the cross. When all authority and power had been given to Him, He remained on the cross. He endured pain and abuse and mockery. He endured all of this and remained on the cross. He stayed there when he could have pulled himself off, he could have destroyed that world and built another in the blink of an eye. And yet he remained there. He remained there even for those who were right there in front of him mocking him. He remained there for us. It's not that Jesus couldn't come down off the cross, it's that he wouldn't. We see God here, not because he's crucified, but because he remained there. Not because he came in military power and dominated and and. and started a completely new government, but because He remained there on the cross, dying that we might have life. We see who Christ is because He stayed. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders, they mocked Him. He saved others. Let Him save Himself. 
This is the King of Israel. Let Him come down off the cross. Let Him come down off the cross. He trusted God. Let God rescue Him if He even wants to. Because He said, I, I am the Son of God. And in this moment, we realize that we hear the words of Satan, the one who tempts tempting Christ to come down off the, off the cross. It reminds us of the words that he heard when he was in the desert, when the evil one came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, make these stones into bread. The one who said, if you are the Son of God, jump down off this temple and the angel will save you. Take the easy way. Take the way of power and domination. Be the God that everybody wants you to be. And yet Jesus remains on the cross. He will not be tempted. He will not be turned away. He remains faithful to God's design, to the way God is having Him redeem us. That through death, we might have life. In the same way, the two bandits who were crucified with Him heaped insults onto Him. And we see God. We who believe We see God here. So many people struggle to see it. They say, how, why would God be crucified? I just can't see it. But we who believe, we see that because He was crucified, we see God. Faithfulness and sacrifice and love beyond imagine. We see God here. From the sixth hour to the ninth hour, darkness covered the land. And around the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani! Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think we catch a glimpse of this moment of just what Christ is doing. What He bore here on the cross. The sin of us Yours and mine of all people. Hanging there with it on the cross, dying with it. Alienated from God. God the Son, who had been in this amazing relationship, in this this communion with God the Father and God the Spirit, even before time began, is now here alienated. Because of us. For our sake. Bearing the wrath that we deserve because of our sin and our rebellion against God and the ways that we treat each other. Here He is bearing this. And He cries out, My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? We get just a glimpse of what God is doing here for us. But these are also the words of Psalm 22. We heard them this morning. It's the beginning of the psalm. My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? And while this psalm begins like this, By the end, we hear glory. We hear good news. The poor will eat and they'll be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord, they will praise Him. May your hearts live forever. And all the ends of the earth, they will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the nations will bow down before Him, before before dominion belongs to the Lord. And He rules over all the nations. 
While it begins with, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? It ends in glory. It ends with God exalted. And we see that Christ is filling out the Scriptures. As you read through Psalm 22 and as you spend time reading the ends of the Gospels, the passion of Christ, you'll see that one after another, Jesus lives out Psalm 22. So many places, you'll see them if you look at it even now, where there's italicized words. They show the places where Christ is filling this out. Where God is following just what He said. Those who heard this, those who were standing there, they said, He's crying out to Elijah. Immediately, one of them got up and got a sponge. Ran and got a sponge and filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a stick and gave it to Jesus to drink. Then the rest said, Leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And then when Jesus had again cried out in a loud voice, He gave up His Spirit. That's so important. He gave up His Spirit. No one took His life. No one killed Him. God gave up His Spirit. He gave up by His own volition, by His own design. Earlier, Jesus had spoke with the Pharisees. He said, No one takes My life, but I lay it down by My own accord. I lay it down by the authority I lay it down, and by authority I take it up again. God has given up His Spirit. He has sacrificed His Spirit for us. Christ chose to die that we might live. That we might live life more full and life that goes on and on forever with Him. Christ has done this. At that moment, when He gave up His Spirit, the temple, or sorry, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. From the top to the bottom. From the top to the bottom, it was torn in two. The earth shook and the stones split and the tombs were broken open. And many, many of the bodies of those who had died were raised to life. And after Jesus' resurrection, they entered the holy city and they appeared to many people there. And for just a moment, we see what God is doing. We see what God has done for us. Jesus has atoned for us. It's a way of saying that Jesus has stood in our place, paid the penalty that we had to pay, that we as all humanity deserve to pay. Christ has paid it. He has stood in our place, received God's wrath and God's judgment in our stead. Atonement. If you look at it this way, it's at-one-ment. Jesus has put us back at one with God. He has reconciled us to God the Father. Sin no longer separates us. The curtain in the temple, it separated the place of God from the place of humanity. The curtain was this large barrier that separated where God dwelt from the place where people were. And God tore it from the top to the bottom. The barrier has been removed. It was not a human tearing it from the bottom up. It was God from the top to the bottom. The barrier has been pushed away. We have been reconciled to God in Christ. If we believe into Him, we are reconciled with God our Father. But more is happening here. As surprising as it is, if this were not enough, even more is happening here. 
The tombs were broken open. In His death, Christ defeated death. Death has been driven out. If you remember to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, when humanity sinned, one of the penalties was was death. Death became the, the great evil that waited for us all. Death entered this world. And it haunts every person. Every person eventually must face death. But on the cross, Jesus has defeated death. Death no longer need be the end for us. In Christ, death is not the end. In fact, it becomes the beginning of life in its truest sense. We don't need to be afraid anymore. Death is not the end. Whoever believes into Him, even though they may die, they will live. They will live. Christ has defeated death here on the cross. And God has testified to it. This morning we have heard all the people who mock Jesus. In surprising ways they proclaim the truth about Him. The guards, the Jewish people, even the people passing by, they mocked Him. And finally God testifies. God testifies who Jesus is by tearing the curtain, by shaking the earth and bursting the stones in two and breaking the tombs open. God speaks about who Jesus is, that He is the Son of God, that He is the One who will destroy the temple and raise it in three days. He is the One that we've all been waiting for, the King of Israel from the house of David, who has come to lead God's people. He's the One that we have been waiting for, the Savior that we have all hoped for. Christ is this One. And God testifies. Then the centurions, excuse me, then the centurion and those who were with him, who were guarding Jesus, when they had seen the earthquake and all of these things happen, they were terrified. They were terrified at who God, has, who God is and what he has done. And they said, Surely, absolutely, without a doubt, this is the Son of God. And we recognize God with them. With them, we recognize God here on a cross, dying that we might have life, sacrificing everything that we might be reconciled to God our Father, that we might live differently, that we might live life more full, filled with joy, even when things are difficult, life filled with compassion for people that we have not even met yet. God has given us life more full, and we recognize Him here on the cross. The interesting thing is I've talked with just a few Jewish people. I remember this one man, he was actually at one of my classes in seminary. He was a Jewish rabbi and he said, Jesus is not the Messiah because he died on a cross. He failed Messiah 101. But we who believe We see God on the cross. We see the cross and we see Jesus crucified and we see God undeniably. We see God's love and sacrifice and we trust and we have faith that once again we will see His faithfulness, His power one day. But we see God here in love and sacrifice. Christ has done this. Christ has done this. He has died that we might live. Thank God that He has risen again but we'll get to that next Sunday. 
Listen to these words from Isaiah. They were written centuries before Jesus. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we have been healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears he is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished.